Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me, your host, James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we'll be sharing career stories, advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know. And we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. The word inspiring gets thrown around a lot when discussing entrepreneurs and business owners. However, with today's guest, I can't think of a more accurate or deserving description. Today's 40-minute mentor is the incredible Catherine Wines, co-founder of the fintech World Remit. World Remit is a mission-driven online money transfer service that allows people to send money to friends and family living abroad. World Remit is one of the most successful and fastest-growing fintechs in the UK, worth almost $1 billion, and it employs over 700 people, serving 4 million customers across 150 countries. Catherine is one of the most high-profile female leaders in fintech, so it came as a real shock to the industry when she was diagnosed with stage 3 pancreatic cancer in 2018. Despite the shock of this and the ensuing treatment, she has remained incredibly positive and active throughout. She continues to support World Remit as a non-exec director, whilst also mentoring and advising a number of other startup founders, including fellow 40-minute mentor guest Alex Stephanie of Beam. Since her diagnosis, she's paved the way for firms to improve the way they support employees living and working with cancer. We go into detail on this in today's show, and Catherine shares some great advice for anyone out there either living with or supporting a loved one or colleague with cancer. In today's conversation, you'll hear about some really interesting topics, including why Catherine set World Remit up and how she's grown it from a small startup to a team of over 700 employees, her philosophy on living with cancer and how she's happy to talk about it in order to raise awareness and change perceptions about the disease, plus her thoughts on the importance of mentorship, championing women in tech, and why she got involved with Beam, the tech for good startup that helps homeless people get back into work and off the streets. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with Catherine about her many achievements and hearing her unique and uplifting approach to life. She truly is an inspiration and is certainly a great reminder to us all to live life to the fullest and without regret. So with all of that said, please sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Catherine Wines. Catherine, it's wonderful to have you here today. Welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. I'd like to start this episode as we like to always start our podcast with an overview of your CV in 30 seconds, if that's okay. okay. Thank you very much for asking me. Uh, At my age, uh, 30 seconds is not long enough, but uh, (laughs) I I will attempt. I'm an accountant by profession, so you can gather from my accent, I'm not from those shores. I came to the UK many years ago, just after university, and continued my uh, accountancy studies in this country. Uh, So I'm an accountant, and why the reason I chose accountancy, I think, is because it gives you the opportunity to work in many sectors, in many areas. I've never kind of looked to be... would be a CFO role. It's more using the accountancy skill and knowledge to to do other things. And uh, that shows in my CV where I've worked in local public sector initially, but then moved to KPMG as an audit manager. I worked at Coopers as well, which is now PwC as an M- in MLA, and uh, in other financial services business. And ended up in uh, remittances, I cross-border payments in the early 2000s. So quite a varied career and forgot to mention also uh, involved in training and I helped de- develop the accounting profession in the emerging economies in, uh, in the late 90s, which was uh, very interesting as well. <laughs> wow, amazing. Well, there's plenty in there. You've had an amazing career and are very well known, uh, particularly in the fintech world. So I'm keen to unpack lots of that over the course of this conversation. But to start kind of towards the beginning, as you mentioned, you maybe not the typical accountant, but you started, you know, you worked in, in finance, you worked at KPMG, you mentioned Peter as well. Um, how would you say that early part of your career, that financial grounding, as it were, how did that shape your career? I think, you know, it is quite important. And I, that's why, you know, I've, uh, I wanted to, to have an accountancy qualification because I knew that would help me to progress. 
Obviously, initially, you could think that it progressed into like a CFO top role, but, you know, if you look at a lot of companies, CEOs and in other, other roles are actually accountants. Mm. So it's a proof that that financial background is really important because, you know, when you set up a business, understanding the finances is quite important. And, and that really will help you. So I just think that, for me, it was uh, very important. And also, you know, working for a big firm like KPMG and PwC, I think I would certainly encourage people to do, even if, you know, you don't think this is your career in terms of long term. And certainly for me, working for a firm like KPMG, becoming a partner probably was not my aim, objective. But uh, the exposure you get to, you know, a wider environment, uh, big businesses that you can't get in a smaller environment. And that, you know, I often said to, 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 to younger colleagues or people I know to say that it's worth, you know, investing two or three years of your life in those big firms because you get, you know, a really great exposure and, uh, you know, experience that will really help you in your career later. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and great training, typically. Yeah, we, yeah. we often say the same I guess a lot of our candidates come from a consulting background, a number of whom mm. work maybe started their career at the big four, but having that grounding, whether it's on the audit side yeah, or in the consulting. Management, or, you know, the, mm. the, the big management consultancy, you know, and so that is yeah. definitely, there's, there's an advantage there for later in your career. I it's agree. Definitely. And you start building your network, and I think we'll talk about that yes. later, but this is also a good way to start building your network. Mm. I couldn't agree more. I think that I'm relatively happy with the path that I took. But occasionally in the early days of JBM, I was very lucky to have my uncle, who's a qualified accountant and a consultant, who drilled into me the importance of cash is king and, you know, <laughs> making sure we were on top. But I think if I'd have had a bit more financial acumen from a qualification or a grad scheme in a yeah. big four, I mm -hmm. think it would have been a much easier first couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't agree more. I know that the, the finance piece clearly had uh, an important part of the, the start of your journey. But you've gone on to do a, a number of amazing things. I guess I wanted to spend most of this conversation talking about the incredible world remit business that you yeah. co-founded. So that was in 2010, I think yeah. I'm right in saying. Yeah. And before even fintech was actually used, when we first started in 2010, we were called disruptor because <laughs> the word fintech only came really about in 2012. You know, that's uh, so as I said, initially, we we're more known as a disruptor because ah. we were bringing a sector which had been very traditional. Mm. So remittance, just to clarify for, for your listeners, remittance is about people sending money back home. Yes, it is cross-border payments, but you know, international payments cover a wide range of mm. products and remittances is very much about migrants coming to work in another country and having to send money back to their family. And generally, we're talking of small amounts. You know, it could be £100, £200 a month. Mm. And that banks do not really cover that because it's very expensive to send. And obviously, when we're looking at the receiving side, the people receiving the money, often they don't have a bank account, so mm. they have to receive cash. So it's a sector which has been, you know, dominated by a couple of players and many the main one that most people know is Western Union for many years, but has been very traditional. It was what is called cash to cash. You had to go to an agent, a shop, generally a convenience stores or this type of uh, stores, take some cash, fill a you know, queue, fill a form, and then at the other end, the person would receive you know, cash, would have again to go to a, a branch and, and receive cash. So very time-consuming, and if you can think of the process itself, you know, quite expensive because you have a lot of parties involved. And so it's very inconvenient, expensive. And because there was a mainly a monopoly, more or less, the prices were very high. Right. So, you know, I'd worked in the traditional sector. Yeah. I'm a co-founder as well. That's how I got into remittances. Uh, first, a small startup, which was, you know, a traditional startup in terms of uh, the, the product itself. It was still cash to cash which then uh, we sold on to TravelX Money Transfer, who promptly sold it on to uh, a company called Coinstar, okay. which is an American company, which I stayed there until the end of 2009. So that was very much the traditional sector. And, you know, the last few years there, I could see that at Constar, we, we, we struggled differentiating ourselves from other players. You know, we were not offering really anything new. And, I, you know, this had some, some time interesting 
discussion with my CEO at the time, and to say, well, you know, what can we do? And I even kind of started, you know, putting the, the thought of maybe we should go online. And uh, it was not very keen at the time, you know, he still thought that cash was king and that, that was the, the way forward at that stage. So when Consa decided to sell on the company, I thought three sales in a row, that's enough for me. I think I, I move on. Uh, so I helped them to do some reorganization and then I, I left. And uh, that's when I was taking a little bit of time off to think what was my, my next step, that I met Ismail, Ismail I met, and we were actually introduced by a common friend of, uh, of ours. Okay. Uh, Ismail had yeah, set up the company he wanted to launch, but he never ran a business, you know, he'd been more on a compliance side, so, you know, he needed someone who could cover the other areas of uh, the business, and certainly finance, and obviously with my accountancy qualification, but also because I'd been in sector. I've been the business development director for Constar, had a lot of contacts, and I knew the business well. So this common friend said, I just know the person for you, and uh, he introduced us. And, uh, and that's how the story started. Wow. Uh, Did, was there an instant click did you guys you know were you on the same page instantly yeah and... i think yes you know I, I did believe straight away that online was the right time to start you know like you have uh, things you say you know that's going to be too early and to be honest i think that was just the right time you know there's a bit of luck as well when you you have a startup there's always you know right time right place right people and i think we we ticked all those boxes uh, you know, both of us and the third person who was with us as well, uh, Richard, we had all the, 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 kind of the skill needed to, to start a business who had the complementary skill. But we, both Ismail and I, knew the sector very well. I had a lot of contacts and therefore, you know, we could really start, you know, with a, much more easily than uh, otherwise. But also we, you know, we believed that it was the right time. We, you know, we could see things were changing. And in a way, we compared ourselves a little bit to um, the travel agency, you know, years ago. And it, when you wanted to book a flight, you would go to a travel agent. Now, and certainly even at the time we started, you know, people went online to buy your their airfare or their holiday. And we thought that was the right time for the, uh, you know, the remittance mm. sector to move online. So it was very much for us was digitizing a, a business which had been very traditional, very offline, very, you know, kind of inconvenient and expensive. And that was our first premise is to resolve that first problem and use technology to be able to reduce costs because obviously we were cutting, you know, uh, layers of cost and, and using technology, especially on the compliance side. Fantastic. It seems like a perfect storm in terms of the timing. Yeah. You mentioned a bit of luck, but you clearly had the ambition, the foresight and the belief in what you were doing to, yeah. to go for yeah. it. And uh, certainly I think compared to, you know, uh, maybe a couple of our smaller other competitors who came later on or some others, is we had, from the start, we wanted to be global. We knew that, uh, you know, this was a global business and we wanted to be global. And I think that decision was quite important in terms of us moving on much more quickly and also looking at, you know, when we started you know, looking for fundraise, that, you know, looking at that, having that global mm. overview. Amazing. Well, I'm sure lots of people listening will have heard about World Remit because you've been on an incredible journey over the last 10 years. And you've, you've alluded to it slightly already, but in terms of the mission behind it in the first instance, can you just break that down for us a bit more and tell us kind of what you were aiming to achieve and how that has kind of progressed yeah. over the years? Well, yeah, I think, you know, for us, mission, what we do is very important. Obviously, you know, Ismail is African. He's known at first hand what it's like to send money back to his family, and especially coming from a Somaliland, it's one of the areas which is even more difficult than the average maybe other country in Africa. So he knew the pain, and uh, therefore, you know, for us, it was very much, you know, kind of alleviating this pain and, and the cost. And especially when you start looking at a few statistics about uh, remittances, you know, the amount of remittance sent annually is about $600 billion, Incredible. more than $600 billion. But that represents three times the overseas aid. So what migrants contribute to their country of origin is tremendous. Mm. And, and it goes directly to people. It's not diverted. It goes directly and therefore helps for people to 
basic needs, yes, food, rent, whatever. Mm. But it's also about education, it's about health, mm. it's about, you know, helping them set up this small business so they can become independent. So the amount of, the, you know, the value of remittance is quite, uh, you know, uh, incredible. And in fact, it's as much as well as the foreign direct investment wow. last year became the as much. And when you think migrants on the Stanford, i.e. when they moved to a country to, to work. There was a McKinsey research done last year which shows that uh, migrants contribute more than 10% of the global GDP, although they're only 3.4% of the global population. So when you put that into perspective, and especially in the last two or three years where, you know, the uh, kind of a message around migration has been pretty negative. I think when you start putting those statistics yeah. into people's mind, and I often say when I quote those statistics to people, they, I can see the shock on their yeah. face. And they realize, so for us, you know, remittances is so important and it's very much, you know, was, has driven us to do this business. Yes, we are a commercial business. We have uh, VCs who have invested uh, and therefore they expect a return. But that doesn't stop you to have a mm, mission. There's a uh, huge yeah, social yeah. impact there, That's isn't it. there? Yeah. I think it's one of those things that a lot of people, I think, don't know about or no. don't talk about. And I think getting it front and center, and I think... Uh, in the industry, talking about World Remit and what you've achieved and just shining a light on it, I think might help change some of the, the dialogue and the rhetoric that we hear. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, it's admirable and wonderful. I, I read this morning that there was a 45% growth in remittances in Africa in 2019. So yeah. this is a growing industry. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know that you're very much at the forefront of that. So congratulations on all your success. Yeah. I know over the last 10 years, you know, you really have carved a niche. And when it comes to fintech, it's a firm that we as headhunters in that space look at, you know, with real admiration. When you look back, the sector's changed a lot. What was it about you that was so different uh, as a business? Well, I think we were one of the first ones really to go for that digitalization mm. back in 2010, you know, at the time. A bit like, you know, the banks and the challenger banks, uh, you know, kind of big banks at first thought that all the challenger banks were, you know, a one minute wonder. And it happened to us as well in 2010, 2011, 2012. I know that the big players thought we would just disappear, you know, that that wouldn't catch up, you know, migrants wouldn't want to go online and, and kind of, you know, send money online and use their card or, or say that they didn't have bank accounts. But yes, in some countries that was still true at the time, but in Europe, if you are a legal immigrant, you've got to have a bank account because that's the only way to get paid. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a lot of countries, so, and, you know, they were probably buying their, the you mentioned know, ticket, uh, ticket online, but they couldn't send the money online. So it just didn't make sense. So when we, you know, obviously it was slow. The first year was, you know, we had to create that network and build and uh, so that was slow. But people certainly in 2012 could see that we were starting. And there's no doubt when we managed to finalize our first Series A, with Axel, you know, which is quite a big VC, you know, Silicon Valley VC, which had invested, you know, early investor in Facebook and so on, that made a big difference yeah. because people then suddenly realized that if a fund like Axel was prepared to invest in a company like World Remit, that must mean something because they, they know they do lots of due diligence. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, they well, help change they perceptions. Yeah. That's it. And they really believe that, uh, you know, was a company which could grow. Amazing. So obviously being the first, you know, one advantage is always a, a good thing. It's still, even uh, after 10 years, I'm still surprised that uh, there are no more players. There are different players, but, you know, the, the entry in this industry on a global basis is still very difficult. First, because of the regulation, you have to be, you know, licensed. And just to give you an example, when we started our licensing process in the U.S. in 2014. That took three and a half years. Wow. We had to get one per state. That's, you know, quite demanding, yeah. both in terms of cost. So not everybody can do that. When you have to build a network, in order for us to make those transaction instance at low cost, we have to have a lot of partners. So we've got to you know, negotiate with those partners, integrate with those partners on a technical side. That takes time, especially when you deal with some time quite large players like mobile operators, that takes time. And then when you're online, the marketing is obviously you've got to spend a lot of uh, marketing mm. pounds, dollars <laughs> on marketing to get people to know course, you. Course. So 
in a way that, although it's a big market, uh, it still comes back to entry. Challenges, yes, yeah. there's, uh, Interesting. And you have done lots of different roles at Worldview. I was interested in it, that journey internally. I guess when you're a co-founder at the very beginning, you're, you know, it's a bit of everything. Yeah. Did well, you totally? Yes. <laughs> did you have um? Have you had a favorite role at World Remit? Was there? Well, you know, Marvel was very much from early days to be the the, the CEO. So Ismail was the CEO, and I was the CEO. So dealing mainly uh, with um, you know, Ismail was the visionary and and, and the compliance you know kind of a person. We had Richard, who was more the technical person, and then. I was doing the rest, <laughs> and very much so until you don't know, come the latter part. Obviously, as the team grew, my role was not in so much uh, you know on the day to day, but certainly in the initial part. And to be fair, all of us uh, initially had to get involved quite uh, heavily on the day to day, and uh, we you know, we were covering weekends and evenings, and uh, you know sending email, talking to customers, which actually I think is a good thing yeah. because I really you know this was a new business model and therefore you know i'd not been used before so you had to we had to learn a lot yeah. and it, there was different things which didn't apply to the face-to-face -face yeah. kind of model uh, and we had to learn and certainly none of us were that expert on online payments okay. so we had to you know call yeah. a high learning curve on that so that was you know very interesting and building the system but obviously as you grow and the team grows then you know your your role is to to more and more managing the team what i found is uh, i really enjoyed it it was you know kind of, uh, it was very exciting and especially because everybody who joined us believed in what we were doing so that 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 helped as well at the same time, as the team grow, you there's a danger that as people like me who have been very involved in the day-to-day -day business initially and know more or less everything because I've created a lot of those systems, that people then rely too much on you. Right. Although they can do it, they kind of uh, say, well, you know, if the system goes down in the middle of the night, Catherine will get up because <laughs> it's her baby. You know, she, will, uh, she won't let it. So there's a danger that you know, the new team never takes full responsibility. So that's why, you know, at the end of 2017, we decided that I would stand down and uh, take a non-exec role. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah. switch off and say, I said to people, you know, <laughs> sorry, I can't look because I haven't got access to yeah, the system. Yeah, You've got to enough. do it. And, it and, you know, for two or three weeks, I had a few phone calls <laughs> after that. You know, I did it because people... Uh, you know, could do it. And I was very pleased and proud that, in fact, it showed that, you know, I had built a team that could deliver. Yeah, succession planning, that you know, They didn't need me, you know, and therefore I could concentrate more on promoting the mm -hmm. company. So uh, certainly in 2018, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of uh, promoting the company, going to launches with partners and and promoting the, you know, the mission as well. So I did, you know, visited the uh, World Bank to, to, to discuss Amazing. about, uh, you know, remittance and various other conferences to talk about financial inclusion and so on, which Fantastic. was really exciting and which I see now more my role to, mm, to, to obviously mm. promote uh, the company in that way. Brilliant. Mm. Well, I'm keen to come back to some of the things you talked about around teams and people and culture, because I think that's going to be fascinating for our listeners. But just looking back over that growth story, is there anything now with hindsight that you would do differently in those early parts? Were there any particular challenges or things that, yeah. that you've been able to reflect on? Yeah, I think, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I do uh, a lot of mentoring and speaking now. And if there's the one thing I think that people um, forget is how quickly your team grows, how quickly you can lose track at how quickly the team is, how big it is, and th therefore communication is not as clear. You know, when you are 40, you're probably all around one table and everybody knows everything because there's no secret. It's not like you want to have secrets, but, you know, by the very fact that you are such a small team, everybody knows everything. And then you constantly go to 100, 150. Well, you don't communicate the same. And I think we, uh, we didn't kind of catch that quite quickly and when we grew very quickly especially after the first series A where we had more fun to recruit we found that you know communication was not as good and at first we didn't realize and people felt a bit lost you know they didn't know where mm. we were going what we were trying to do so I think it's quite important to think about recruiting someone in the HR talent area much earlier than mm. we think I think a lot of people think that's a luxury 
but actually on reflection is not. You know, we 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 you would speak about uh, you know if you're going to spend 100k on a computer system, you would do a lot of paperwork, RFP, get people to send you a proposal and so on. But you're going to employ 100k person, and you're just going to have a couple of interviews and say, oh yeah, they they yeah they I see they will fit. <laughs> you know, and generally it's people who have no HR experience who do that. And I think that, as, uh, and I've seen it now, you know, that I talk to a lot of the, you know, startup, young businesses, I see it happening again and again, you know, you don't invest. So the one advice I always give now is try to, to uh, recruit, you know, much more, you know, early yeah. someone in that area, which will help you to develop the culture and also help with the communication and the recruitment to have a much better process or yes. for there because I do cringe when I say oh yes they, I think they are good culture fit uh, I find that you know I cringe <laughs> <laughs> and I say what do you mean yes yeah yeah it's <laughs> a mean, common phrase do you mean they fit you and therefore you'll be quite glad to go to the <laughs> pub with them yeah. or you know will they cover because at the end of the day I think diversity is so important and I'm not talking about gender or whatever mm-hmm. diversity but even diversity in terms of thoughts. You know, if, if you if you have people who just think like you, well, actually, that thing that will slow down your progress because they will not challenge and say, well, are you sure you're doing the right thing? You might be, but just having someone challenging you is quite important. Catherine, I am 100% on board with what you're saying. And I think we see it with so many of our clients, be it startups or scale-ups, but often they're high-growth businesses a few things you said one comms uh, is often the biggest challenge and actually even in smaller business like ourselves we're a four-person business but occasionally everyone's running at such a pace and doing so many things it's and very easy, yeah. it's very easy just to forget that you haven't actually said what you're working on or, or and I think it really is one of the most common things but I also agree around hiring and getting that people person in early because it's so easy to hire in your likeness. Yeah. You know you know what works. Oh, you know you how do. you work, so you do. We're human. You know, so yeah. when you're going to meet someone, you're going to, if you feel some comfortable with someone, yes, you're going to buy for mm. that person. But in fact, you know, in all of cases, it might not be the right person. No, no I totally agree. Uh, I, I th- and it brings me on to, to another question, actually. The team grew to over 700 people, six continents, you know, valued at almost a billion dollars. So it's, it's such an incredible success story. And a lot of our candidates, you know, high achievers, want to work for the best companies, want to go to companies on that sort of trajectory. But often what really distinguishes the good from the great, in my opinion, is culture, which you, you've touched upon. How, how did you find that the evolution of the culture and the yeah, challenges yeah. you scaled to keep it at, you know, mission driven yeah, and, yeah. you know, learning from those things? I think I would sometimes, uh, you know, again, on reflection and looking and having read a bit more, sometimes challenge the word culture. When you are a startup, you change. You don't really have a culture. So culture is something you're going to develop when you grow, but you have, you know, Maybe your soul, and there was a recent uh, article at the Harvard Business Review about the soul of a company. I do believe that, like that when you start a business as a soul, you know, Ishmael and I, you know, were so passionate about remittance. It was, you know, as I said, it's more than a business, it's a passion for us. And that's the soul of the business, what we believe in. And I think that's what people, you know, were prepared to, to join us and stay with us because of that. You know, because, you know, when you join a startup, you know you're not going to be high salaries. That is a risk, you know, might work or might not work. And, you know, generally you have to put more hours because things go wrong and there's nobody else you can pass it on. So it's that initial kind of, uh, you know, soul of the business, which is very important. And that then obviously that needs to develop into a culture which, which attracts people. Obviously, as you grow, you know, it, it gets in a way more and more difficult to keep that soul going in, in the way it was. But I think, you know, in our business, hopefully, you know, people still can't believe in what we're doing. It, it has changed, you know, there's no doubt from, you know, you can't operate in a 700 people environment, the same as you did when you were 40. You've got to have processes, people have a, a expectation. I always make a joke that I knew we'd grown when... Uh, 
you know, one employee came to me because at the time I was more or less the HR department as well <laughs> uh, and said, oh, what are the benefits? And I said, oh, benefits, yes. yes. <laughs> Could you come back tomorrow? Right? And with my colleague, I said, Google and said, you know, uh, benefits, what, what could you offer? Because, and I knew we'd grown because before we were so small, people didn't even think about benefits, but we'd grown very quickly in a, you know, matter of months. And obviously, if you come to an office where you see 100 people, your, your expectations are different to uh, the that, one that rings that very true with the conversation yeah, I had yeah. at JVM once. Yeah. So, you know, so obviously, you know, you have to introduce those new things that, you know, you were more informal, like, you know, policies, you know, about whether it's uh, about maternity or sickness or whatever, you would deal on them one to one you know, person, because you say that's why that this person should be given some time off because they are not mm. ill or they've got a family problem or whatever. And you would deal with it on a one-to-one -one basis rather than having a policy. But obviously, as you grow, you can't do that. Yeah. If you've got, and especially as you grow. So again, it's back to communication as well. I think communication is vital. And that, you know, people everywhere in any office, you know, do similar things. And, and have, you know, obviously it'd be different because cultures are different mm -hmm. in different mm -hmm. countries, you know, the approach. But if you can have this kind of, uh, you know, um, like simple things that, you know, if all you have a Christmas party and everybody has a Christmas party more or less at the same time, so you can all kind of feel that you are part of Earth, you know. Big Christmas party yeah. or something, or you know, uh, you know, some kind of other celebration and and share that. And obviously, that's what you know. Again, technology these days with Slack and all our other forms of communication. You know, we can share what's happening in other office very quickly, mm. and everybody feels part mm. of that wider you know community. Definitely, definitely. I think. Um, I like the idea of soul. I was I was going to ask kind of that some of the best companies have mm. the best or the most inclusive and diverse cultures, but I'm going to say diverse and inclusive souls because yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I guess while it's changing, fintech is still dominated by males. There's, mm. there's no real escaping it. And it is changing and I'm pleased to see it's changing, but, but I really want to get your thoughts because I know you, you've spoken about this in, in the public domain. Get your advice for anyone that's listening um, who may be a woman. And I guess the diversity and inclusion agenda is yeah. bigger than this, yeah. but I particularly wanted your thoughts on this. Anyone that's looking to maybe make a move at the moment or excel or even break into fintech, what is your advice to somebody that's listening to this and who will be no doubt very inspired by your yeah. story? I think, you know, the definitely is changing and certainly, uh, you know, being based in London, we're very lucky. I can see, you know, to all the meetings I go, the, even over the, the last few years, our the, the balance is changing, so that's very positive. But we're still a, a long way because I do speak to uh, you know new businesses, and um, I'm saying so number of times I said there's a bit of a lack of diversity here. <laughs> you know, come on when I'm faced with three white male. Yeah, but it's important so, to call it out, but, isn't but, it? But yeah. I do, and they all call, you know start fidgeting on their chairs <laughs> and uh, start. To, oh yes, but we are recruiting a uh, of that. So don't doubt this. But I think there's uh, you know. It, if you feel that you know this is a sector for you that you're interested, please do go ahead. And then, and we're talking you know mentoring and other things uh, shortly. But you know there are a lot of uh, groups you know which can support you and give you ideas and support you, which I think is very important to kind of join or to uh, find out and to speak to people who are in this sector, network with people in this sector, and you'll find that you know you can do it and things are changing and. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, a startup or starting a business is, is about you, you know, your resilience. And uh, if you're a resilience person, you're strong and you, you believe and you're passionate. Mm. And I think that's the word I yeah. would always, you know, I, I, I've said that when I, we were recruiting people and I was doing an induction at 12 Remits. You know, I said, you know, what I'm looking for is passionate people because if you're passionate, you will make sure that, you know, hurdles, you, you, you'll jump those hurdles. It might be difficult, mm. it might be a bit more difficult, but you will jump those hurdles. So that passion is really, really important. And it rubs off on people, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Taking gender out of it, and, that, and you've already alluded to it around passion and resilience, are there other qualities that you possess that you feel have helped you achieve the, the things that you have? Well, I think I'm a positive person and, you know, um, and that, that self. So, you know, that, that passion, that uh, be able to, to deal with people. You know, being told that I can be quite harsh, you okay. know, 
difficult. And I don't have any issue with that because I don't take fools gladly, especially of senior people who earn a lot of money. I mm. expect, you know, I've got high expectations as well. Fair <laughs> enough. But at the same time, I, people know I do it in, with good intentions mm. because I want first them to do it right, mm. not just for themselves, but for the customers mm. because we are in a customer-centric business. But I care. Yeah. I'm a human being and I care. And I think anybody you can, you know, if you talk to anybody who knows me, is that, you know, human side that I will always watch out. And if I find that people are having problems, you know, I'm prepared to, I want to help and I don't want to put people down. And, mm. uh, and for me, that's what's important. So I'm demanding, but at the same time, I do it for the right reason. And people, I think, respect that. Yeah. But I'm very human as well, yes, yeah. and I'm a people's person, yeah. and that's I think uh, it is finding that balance. Yes, you know, totally. I don't want to so be softy no. because I think if you're softy, you're in a way you're not going to be respected by people. I, I remember my first advice from uh, my one of my early managers said, as a manager, you can't please everybody, and that's a very good lesson I learned very early on. That is true. Whatever decision you make, whatever you do. Some people agree, some will disagree. If you're trying to please everybody, you will never get anywhere. So, you know, I'm demanding, I condemn, but as I said, I care about bad people. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Great advice for anyone listening. And having met you a couple of times now, I can completely attest to the fact that you are wonderful with people. <laughs> um, uh, and I think it's really helpful for anyone listening that, you know, has aspirations to achieve things and, and, and drive forward in this industry, some of the qualities that mm -hmm. I think you need to mm -hmm. succeed. So thank you for sharing that. I'm going to move on a bit because I want to talk, you've gone on to do some wonderful things alongside your, your non-exec role at World Remit. And, and one of those is, is linked to uh, Beam. And we had the founder of Beam, Alex Stephanie, on the podcast last year. We at JBM are huge, uh, hugely passionate about what he's doing, big supporters of Beam's mission. Do you mind telling our listeners a, a little bit more about Beam for those that haven't yeah. listened to the yeah. podcast yeah. and how you got involved with it and, and what your role as an advisor yeah. looks like? So Beam is, is a platform, is a crowdfunding platform which helps raise funds for people who are homeless to get uh, some training, get back into work. So it's a simple concept. So we are, we, people are referred to us by various charities, uh, government, you know, local go government and so on. And the idea is that we make an assessment, we help them decide well, what kind of, are they, did they have a career or what kind of career they would want to, uh, to achieve and uh, work out a training plan and cost that training plan. And that varies, you know, between 2,000 to 6,000 pounds per training. And we put that on the platform and uh, crowdfund the, uh, the funds for that. But what has been, I think, uh, very interesting is that these people are, uh, you, people connect to them because, you know, we, we, we show the profile and if you contribute to their fund, you know, you get an update and there's a, a communication and that's what uh, we found, uh, we call them members, uh, is, is that suddenly from being invisible, they've become visible and they've become, you know, human beings again because you know when you're homeless you often ignore you know uh, we're not talking of less on the street because obviously you know they got to move on to uh, like some uh, sheltered accommodation or whatever because trying to do training when you're on the street is probably not uh, but that's always been the message of that you know being invisible mm. and people don't see you as yeah. a human being anymore and then having that community of other members to support each other and becoming, you know, part of that community, being, you know, supported by someone, make sure they're okay during their training. Uh, and it's made a big difference. And that's why the success, you know, we are two years on since the launch of BIM. The success has been tremendous in terms of people, you know, succeeding to complete their training and going on to jobs is very high. You know, we've had very few people dropping out, mainly due to, to health reason. But otherwise, it, it's been you know, kind of uh, tremendous. I got involved when I stood down from uh, where we met as, you know, as a non-executive. Obviously, I've got more time. And I'm at, you know, relatively lucky at age where I can afford to do other things. And therefore, for me to give back is very, very important. And BIM was one way to do that, to, to support uh, Alex. So I met Alex more or less just before, months before he launched. Oh, really? And so we've been, you know, kind of, uh, and I've been very much a supporter, promoting him, you know, advising as much as I can, introducing to people. Wonderful. And, uh, you know, kind of flying the flag. But for me, what is important as well about BIM is the model, which I think is uh, show what, 
the public and the private sector can work together. Great. And, uh, you know, you hear on, in some political scene against the private sector and tech and so on. Yes, there are issues, especially some of the big tech, but I think technology has a way to resolve issues which you can't expect the public sector to, you know, I, you know, and we probably mentioned I'm in my house, I spent a lot of time in the hospital for the moment. And, you know, they are there to, to deliver service, a frontline service. You can't expect them to be innovating at the same time. And often innovation comes in a different environment. And I think that's where really I think the public and private sector can really achieve. And I think, as I'm sure Alex said at the time, homelessness is just one problem which can be solved yes. in the way we're doing it. Yeah. You know, once we can overgrow, it can be, you know, used for other, other problems. Completely agree. And I think it's wonderful to see the praise in the press kind of sort of cottoning onto this mm -hmm. and showing that tech for good is, yeah. is a wonderful thing and yeah. something we should all get behind. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we were actually subscribers sort of monthly and it's been wonderful to share with the team each month where the money's going and mm -hmm. you feel very invested in yeah. the individuals yeah. and it's a real chance to, to help someone change their life. And anyone listening, I would, if you haven't already, I would, I would strongly advise to, to check it out. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Catherine, I'm really keen to come on to a couple of other really important things that I think will help anyone listening that is kind of in their career, thinking about things to, to do better. And you are an incredibly well-networked person. You're clearly very good at it. When we first met, we were instantly talking about shared connections and ways to help. Um, what tips do you give to anyone that's listening? And I know this is a common theme for people that may struggle with the concept of networking. Yeah. It's, you know, in a way, it's not easy. You've got to start somewhere. And in a way, when I, you know, in the initial years that were remit, I used to be very much office-based because, you know, I was so involved. And uh, and I realized, you know, it was uh, just before I stood down, I said, oh, my God, nobody knows me. You know, I realized that, you know, everybody knew Ishmael, but not so much me. And when I said the co-founder of War Remit, oh, I didn't know there was a co-founder. So I had to actually build that network. So what I did is uh, I accepted every invitation. And, you know, in London, we are very lucky. There are so many, you know, area, you know kind of places you can meet people, whether in various, uh, there's a good website called Meetup, and you can find every area of the, you know, it's not just tech, but others to kind of uh, see the top of, and generally they are free, you know, very small kind of uh, subscription. But even outside London, now a lot of organizations are building networks. So I'm a member of the Institute of Director, for example, and they've got, you know, regional office, uh, regional meetings, you've got, you know, Tech Nation has done a lot of mm -hmm. work, Innovate Finance on the tech side, I've done a lot of work in trying to spread, you know, and having meetups in a different part. So it's, it's, you know, starting, so it's quite time consuming. That's the only thing. But then you, you will then scale down to see what is right for you. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to start and maybe even create your own network. You know, you know, people of, uh, especially now with, uh, LinkedIn and so on, it's so easy to create a network mm. of people, you know, either in your region or in your similar roles and say, you know, meet up and you can meet up online at first and maybe arrange once a quarter to meet face to face because that's always nice as well. So it's, it's that networking. So it's building on that. Mm. And I say it is time consuming initially because you've got, but if you are prepared to do that, but I say it can be simple as mm. well. You know, it's rare that you haven't got an organization you've worked for, you're working for, or people work for, who have got some kind of meetup yeah. of some sort and to get invited to find out. And, you know, even your bank probably has, has you know, arranged breakfast yeah, or whatever. Definitely. So it's a question of investigating a bit at first or asking people around you to do that. And then, you know, or your colleagues uh, or ex-colleagues or friends to, mm. to do that. So yeah. that's, uh, that's how, you know, the way to start. And obviously, you know, you'll then find the, the groups which are meeting your needs more than others. Mm. Then be prepared to put yourself forward for speaking, you know, attending a panel Indeed. and giving your views because then as soon as you do that, it's better. One great thing I would, um, when I, I had that little bit of time off between, uh, you know, kind of before starting World Remit, I joined this group called the Toastmaster International. Uh, yes, I've heard good no things. No longer there, but I, that work is really great to help me for public speaking. I, you know, I was quite a natural anyway, but, you know, I would certainly recommend, and, you know, the membership is like 60 to 80 pounds a year. 
but the value you get, not just in public speaking, but giving feedback, which is very important in a work environment, certainly recommended that there's clubs everywhere in the, in the country. So that's an organization as yeah. well, which can be helpful. And that's another way to meet people and network as well, because generally you find people from all walks of life. Yeah, uh, a friend so of that, mine actually met her husband yeah, uh, at Toastmasters. So, you know, <laughs> no, I think that's it's, yeah. it's great advice. So, and then after that, it's obviously to kind of look potentially for men Tools and but also for sponsors. So a differentiate between sponsor and mentor. At work, when you're at work, you build you got to build your brand, you know. And especially you don't if we are talking of women, generally as fine women have not been as good and have been as guilty to come promote themselves because they think they do a good job, they will get rewarded accordingly, but that doesn't quite work that way. So you've got to build a brand, and I think a sponsor is important to that. So in the organization, to find people who are going to you know, recognize you and say, oh, yes, no, why don't we ask mm. Catherine to do that? Or why don't we... Uh... So trying to find a sponsor with the organization which is going to help you build your brand and put yourself forward to projects or, or presentation or whatever. And then, yes, mentor to help you, you know, develop those networks or there is important. But sometimes I find maybe a mentor is better outside work than work. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes if you really want to be totally honest about or talk about things, you might find that your mentor is cannot be totally impartial yeah, because true. obviously he works within that organization. So sometimes finding a mentor outside work yeah. is sometimes better than that. That's my personal no, I think view. That's but fair I, really enough. I want to come back to the mentorship point because it's, it's pretty relevant for this podcast. But I, I just wanted to come on to, I guess, more personal things just for the next part of our chat. In 2018, you, you were diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer. And I know you've been very open about this. I guess for our listeners, I think it would be really important to, to talk about it and, and understand a bit more about sort of that, how that diagnosis and treatment plan has changed your outlook on, on work and, and life. Yeah. I think definitely when you are diagnosed with a disease, which possibly because it's quite advanced, that you know, potentially could take your life away much earlier than you thought, it does, you know, can't put some things into perspective. I think, you know, my values are not changed that much. I think I would probably feel that uh, sometime when I see people arguing about trivial things, I feel like saying, is it worth it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was always recommend don't leave people, you know, uh, angry, you know, if they call, because you never know what could happen. You could be run under the bus. So, you know, try sometimes to take a bit of perspective on mm. life that, yes, I, I get angry, I get annoyed about things and so on, but... Uh, Take a bit of perspective and stand back and mm. say, well, okay, but uh, let, let's see, you know, how can we resolve, yeah. but let's not be too uh, taken over and, uh, and consumed because I think that's what's important. Uh, it's, you know, the, the negative feeling consumes you. And fortunately, I'm a positive person and certainly with my condition, I have to be very positive. And I think that's helped me dealing with the treatment, which is pretty, you know, sometimes grim. But I, I think that has helped me a lot. It won't cure me. Being positive won't cure you, but it, it will uh, kind of uh, help you through the condition. And I'm hoping that, you know, uh, I'll manage it through. So I think, yes, it changed a little bit of perspective. And obviously, you enjoy things, more simple things, you know. The sun on your face sounds feels wonderful some days. You know? Yeah, <laughs> things you take for granted. God is, is there, you know, just meeting friends, having a good laugh, and uh, you, you come there. So, and actually, maybe that's what, you know, sometimes in our very fast-moving, demanding, stressful life, we should take a little bit more time of that just to think of those simple mm. things. And maybe we might not feel quite as stressed as, as we do. I think um, there's a lot in that. Probably that, everyone listening to this will will probably be doing have juggling many plates, but it, actually yeah. taking just a step Change, back sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you don't have to be, you know, kind of uh, change your life fully, but you know, just to make some adjustment and say, look, you know, sit back, you know, have a five minutes, breathe deeply, you know, kind of, there's a lot of apps now that can help you do that as well. But just you know, simple thing. Just having a chat with someone and maybe a bit of banter. Yeah. I do believe in laughing. Being Agreed. very good. It's the great there. tonic, yeah. And that then gives you that perspective and they say, okay, all right, now how do I end all this problem? You know, you, you feel calmer and therefore mm. you can be better prepared to handle that, you know, stress that you were kind of uh, dealing with just before, but maybe a bit more calmer and 
positive view ways yeah. of doing it. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's it's a really really important advice and and you've you've been very open and you gave a very honest um interview with with the ft where you you talked about you approach your illness almost like a project what do you think made you look at it in that way well i guess you know there was no guarantee of one way or the other and i'm still working towards uh, you know remission um so in a way you you know you have to say well what can i do to make it better with, as I said, that the, the, the title of this article was Living as Normal Life as Possible, because I was quite shocked. You know, it was uh, people's reaction differed quite widely when I was diagnosed, and I was quite open about it. You know, I don't want to force it on people. If they don't want to talk about it, I don't talk about it, but if they want. Because, you know, after all, one in two persons in this country will be affected by cancer. So mm. I think it's important that we do talk. And I, I realize that cancer is still a bit of a taboo. You know, you talk yeah. about other disease. You know, if you have a heart disease, people will accept it in a way more easily. But if you tell them cancer, I've often seen the look on their face like, oh, my God, she's going to die. And I say, it's okay, you know, I might die, but we're all going to die at some stage, but yeah. maybe not. And, so I think it's, it's, you know, changing that perspective for me is quite important in view that, you know, if you think as, as an employer, 50% of your workforce is going to be affected one way or the other, either directly or indirectly by cancer. And therefore we need, you know, to address that. And as a cancer sufferer, uh, yes, I know I've got to adjust my life. And that's why I did that by project management, mm. you know, to say, I know that I've got to do things slightly differently, but I want to still to try to lead as normal life as possible because that helps me with that positiveness and, uh, you know, handling the, the, the disease. Mm. I think it's, it, yeah, it's very inspiring, the approach to it for what must have been a very stressful time for you. And it's really admirable. I mean, you've continued working, you've continued being involved in so many different things. You know, we, we've met a couple of times and you're so positive. I think that is such a powerful thing, for, particularly anyone that's listening to this that might be going through yeah, similar, um, similar times or people that I'm pretty certain them, yeah. everyone listening to this will have had someone in their life affected yeah. by cancer. I have. And it, I think talking about it in the way that you do is so powerful and helps demystify. It really yeah. takes kind of bring it front and center because this is this is something that we will all confront. Yeah, we, we, um, we all, you know, we, we have there's definitely a bit of a taboo misconception mm, about mm. cancer that uh, you know I think yeah true. And the thing is, you know, research has involved so much. Twenty years ago, there's no doubt. Probably you were much sicker with, uh, you know, chemotherapy. You mm. probably had to stay at home. But it's not true anymore. You know, the advances are, are so great. When I go to hospital, everybody is, is having trying to have a normal life. You know, yeah. you can. And yeah. It's changing that people's people's conception. But also for me, it's also raising awareness because yes. I think. You know, uh, the fact that the, the statistics are getting worse and worse, I think, shows that maybe our lifestyle as well as contributes enormously between what we eat, what we do, you know, eat, drink, no exercise, you know, stress and whatever. And I think maybe that uh, need to think of, we think a bit, you know, some simple things, you Yeah. Know? Do go for a walk. Walk, you know, don't yeah. take the tube. Walk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Basic things sometimes and be a little bit more careful of what you're eating. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, and that's why I think, again, employers and people have, have got a role to play. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think this is, is one of the most important pieces, isn't it? As you alluded to, you know, recent research from Macmillan shows that 87% of employees with cancer want to continue working. Mm-hmm. You know, you've continued to have a very active life through, through your treatment but managers in the workplace aren't aren't necessarily doing enough to make adjustments to enable them yeah. to do that and by raising awareness it's, it's, it's almost getting people to think about yeah, these yeah. things and then uh, it's in a way again it's very much linked to to mental awareness mm, because mm. you know if you aren't stressed by a physical illness it will affect your mental yes. and, and therefore you know uh, you've got to think of that yeah what's your advice for anyone listening that might be a, a business owner or a manager in a business who maybe needs a little bit of help in terms of knowing how to support people that are are going through treatment. Well, that's why I think you know the the, the HR function has got a big role to play to kind of you know be aware at you know what people and I think it's, it's back communication. You know, so managers should maybe given a bit of training, but also it's, it's back you know back to be people human. human and yeah. I said you know if you've got an employee who is not and you say well. 
you want me to talk about it? Do you want, you know, the, are you okay to talk to your colleagues about it? You know, what, what adjustment do you think you need to cover? Because, you know, at the end of the day, for a business, losing someone for six months is, you know, it's not good. And if for that person, it won't be good either because they'll feel down and depressed and lonely. Whereas if maybe, you know, they can adjust their hours or they, you know, especially now with technology, you know, you don't have to be fixed at your desk every single mm. moment of mm. the day. You find that, you know, people will react, you know, positively and then also, you know, will contribute as much yeah. uh, and maybe even more. And other employees, because they see that you are prepared to, to you know, help, will, you know, they, they, they will be also much more positive and much more willing to do more because mm. they, they appreciate what you, you've done. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, I, I really hope anyone listening to this can take that on board and 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 that we do start to demystify this a bit and 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 i think for those that are, are comfortable talking about it raising awareness is so important so thank you for for being so open and sharing that with with us and our listeners sadly i could talk to you for hours Catherine. we're getting towards the end last couple of questions i know for a fact uh, you know i found your story incredibly inspiring and i'm sure those listening have too who inspires you what inspires you Oh dear, this always is a question I find, you know, the most difficult to answer. <laughs> there are so many people. I have to say there's one person which is a bit uh, uh, my hero of modern time, is Nelson Mandela. For me, you know, having spent 27 years in jail and still be able to forgive and yeah. introduce, you know, this uh, reconciliation when he became president, I think is amazing. And... Uh, you know, and it's, it's maybe compared to what I said, you know, you can be in business, you can be hardy. When he was an activist, he was, you know, quite obviously to, to fight against apartheid, but he still was a human being. And at the end, it was about, you know, let's reconcile, let's, you know, stop. And uh, that's, you know. Something we can me, all learn from. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. You know, it, it was not perfect. He did probably things wrong or whatever, but at the same time, that's what's about being human. You know, none of us are perfect. No, and, agree. Uh, and you know, we it's the very nature of being human. And uh, but certainly, that uh, to me has always struck me to go and be so important. No, I really, I I couldn't agree more. And I know you also, and we talked about it at, at different points in this conversation. But I know you also share my strong belief in the power of mentorship, which has had a big effect on my career. And um, what does mentorship mean to you? Uh, I know you're a very active mentor yourself, mm -hmm. but do you also have mentors yourself throughout your career? Yes, I'd, obviously things have changed. I know I'm a bit older. <laughs> so when I was young, unfortunately, the, the concept of mentoring was not, and especially as a woman, was not quite as uh, developed. So in my early career, but I had sponsors. You know, I, had, I remember at one time I had a you know, job I very much as someone who was very much a proponent of helping women develop and sport. And I've had friends who have been, you know, my informal mentors as well in business, KPMG partners who kind of left and. You know, we've been friends since and it's always been there. So, yes, in some forms, yes. you know, and that's where you, but not quite maybe as uh, formalized mm. as it is now, which is obviously uh, has developed a lot in the last few years. Mm. With the people that you mentor, who I'm sure are very grateful for your, your support, what does that relationship mean to you? Well, for me, you know, it's very important that they, they become friends as well. And, but it's, it's about, uh, you know, being there for them when they need them. So, you know, again, that's for the beauty of technology. We're on WhatsApp and they can just send me a message or I'll just say, how is this going? And, you know, they obviously have some time a, a critical problem and they just need to use you as a sounding board or just, uh, you know, they know you're independent and you're not going to to judge or tell anybody. And, uh, it's a safe space, but, but isn't it? it. So, yeah. But also, you know, I find that uh, I can bring, being a little bit older as well, and have a, you know, kind of a wider experience and bring some of this experience that sometimes they have not experienced yeah. themselves, certainly in the realm of, uh, you know, dealing with people, you know, I, I, I mentor all sorts of uh, people, but, you know, sometimes some a bit younger who, you know, great experience who have not managed that many teams and therefore they are still learning uh, you know it's, it's one thing you can learn certain things from books but some you've got to experience great and, uh, and that's where sometimes they find that you know talking to someone who's had a little bit more experience mm. of say well how do you think I should handle the situation and be able to give you know yeah. options is, is there that's uh, great yeah. and it's a very rewarding thing yeah. being a mentor I think yeah and especially when they, you can see that there's something works that it works yes. and uh, that's great and uh and I said, and especially, you know, 
I tend to get involved with people who are really like the business as well. So you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's a win-win. It, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. great. That's great. And I think anyone listening, we we often encourage people to seek out mentorship, mm. and we hope this podcast provides that itself. But also, there's something to be said for knowing your own worth and 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 mentoring others because. Mm-hmm. As you said, it's almost a virtuous circle. If you're yeah. able to give back, it's, it's really One powerful. One thing I, I didn't mention, if I can mention that very quickly, is that what I found is, uh, you know, if you're a founder of a business or start a business, sometimes it can be very lonely. Mm. And therefore, you know, trying to network with a group of uh, similar people in your position, you know, co-founders, whatever. And again, have a WhatsApp group. So if you have a problem, say... Because I don't know what to do with this. What do you think? And uh, and you'll find that people have similar problems. Yeah. So it already if it makes you feel better because you 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 don't think you're stupid or you're kind of doing things yes. wrong. It's a normal. It's great say, but you have not encountered uh, yet, whereas someone else has encountered and give you well. In this, uh, I did that, and that's really important. It's like therapy, that's group it. therapy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I think it's, it's very powerful, and I've benefited from that mm-hmm. myself. Catherine, it's been an absolutely wonderful chat. I've really enjoyed it. Our final question for anyone listening, thinking about a career move, it'd be bizarre given what JBM does not to ask you for one final piece of advice that you'd give somebody that's thinking about making a move in their career. What would that piece of advice be? Well, oh gosh, that's a... Sorry, a hard one to end. (laughs) But I think, you know, you've got to think of your career, you know, what is it about? Is it, uh, you know, because you, you're getting bored of your job or is it because you, you need more experience in certain area or you need more money or whatever? I think, you know, you, you've got to think as to the reason why you want to move on. And uh, yes, you know, you can't just stay in the same job forever. Well, some you do, but not, it's not very rare. But it's really, uh, you know, looking at the opportunities. Sometimes, you know, I've never kind of worked my career step by step, you know, plan for that. Things have happened. I say I do believe in opportunities. Mm. You know, look around. Sometimes an opportunity will come, you know. And again, if you network, if you kind of uh, look, uh, you know, uh, talk to a lot of people and so on, you'll find that opportunities come mm. to you as mm. well. Mm. So uh, that I think it's not something to underestimate. Uh, is selling yourself, you know, your brand, and then therefore you find that people come to you. Great, great, wonderful. Catherine, it's been such a pleasure. Everyone here at JBM wishes you all the very best for the year ahead. And thank you so much for giving your time and providing such wonderful mentorship. Okay, thank really you very appreciate much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.